views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everyone. Welcome. It's so great to have you Oh. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. I'm Dr. Pat. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show on Transformation Talk Radio. And, you know, I I love, love, love what I get to read and also who I get to talk with. And I'm always amazed. I'm always stunned at what happens when people step forward and live their true nature, their authentic selves, and how it shows up. And today is no different for that. You know, we've got two amazing hours. And, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about how do I talk about what my, you know, my very special guest today has done, I am kind of at a loss for words. And yet at the same time, I know she will not be. But first, before we kick that off, let me say hi to Mr. Benny. Hi, Benny. How are you? Good, Pat. Happy Moon Day. Happy... (laughs) What? Happy Moon Day. Happy Moon Day, right? Good thing you're in one studio. Yeah, and you're in one studio (laughs) on mine. I'm not going to actually physically moon you. So we're good on that. You know, I was just saying something really interesting uh, to Priscilla, who Priscilla Priscilla Costello is our guest today. And I was just, we were just talking about the movie Carol. And I was talking about how impactful that movie is to me. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it. And like so many people who did not get to the movie theater to watch it, and I'm not sure if it didn't have, you know, it didn't have a very long presence here where we were or if it came under the radar. But I now know why uh, Kate Blanchett and uh, Rooney, Rooney Mara were nominated for those awards and why the movie and the screenplay was so hailed because it's like when I think about Priscilla and what she has done and and I'll, and I'll tell you all about this fabulous book it's how do you look at things that are so relevant today and yet have so much poignant history to them you know whether it's our perception of how or what Shakespeare was talking about, as we'll hear in a minute, Shakespeare and the stars, you know, the hidden astrological keys to understanding the world's greatest playwright, or, or it is the playwright of our modern time, right? And I was really struck by being caught in these two worlds, Benny, this weekend, as I'm reading Priscilla's fabulous book, 
and I'm struck by this movie and I'm doing a critique of the movie. So I've watched the movie now over the weekend. It's got to be 10 times, 10 times. And every time it's fresh. And what I found myself was caught between two worlds. You know, what I want to say about my guest today, educator, writer, speaker, counseling astrologer, you know, enthusiastic lover of Shakespeare's work. She has taught English language literature for more than 30 years. But, you know, here we go. How do you take your passions and, and for her astrology and and the amazing work of Shakespeare and the literary genius of that? Now, how do you bring that together to blend astrological themes and this this individual, this one of the greatest playwrights, or if not the greatest playwright, this guy we refer to as Shakespeare. Well, guess what? She has done it. And, you know, part of what she has done is, I, is having us really think about some of the things that have been written, some of the words that have been put on paper, and, you know, what that means. And I have to tell you, that there is a part of what she has written that I'm actually going to refer to. I was really struck by one of the writings on Scorpio wounding and healing, but I enough about me. Let's let's everybody invite Priscilla Costello to the show. Priscilla, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. It's, it's a pleasure to be on your show and thank you so much for the invitation. Well, I want to talk about you for a minute, if I can. Um, you know, I barely talked about how you got to be you. And after reading your book, and uh, God, I, I was caught in this energy between your writing, what you've done, this interpretation, the wisdom, and the insight, and this movie. It's real, it was a fascinating weekend for me. I'm just kind of, and I thought, wow. I hadn't thought about Shakespeare that way, but this is fascinating. How do you, what has your journey been like, if you don't mind sharing? What's I your don't mind at all. Like? Um, I became a teacher when I was quite young, mm-hmm. and at approximately the same time that I began, began to take my teaching career seriously was the time that I began to take my astrological career seriously. <laughs> but, you know, for years and years and years, I kept them entirely separate. I did my day job, and then I had my night job, which was my astrological counseling work. Yeah. And I did not actually see the relevance of the two of them until I really had the time to sit down and look at the plays much more deeply. You know, when I was teaching them, I was aware that there were references to the sun, uh-huh. the moon, the stars, and comets, and so on. But I really didn't get how fundamental astrology actually is in the creation of the plays. Oh. And that's amazing to me, because here I was, steeped in the language, I was using astrology in a counseling way on the one hand, but I didn't see the importance of it as a literary creation device, let's say, on the other hand. Wow. I mean, you know, I... This is pretty recent for me. This is only in the last five or or eight years, probably. Well, you know, it's interesting, because I'm kind of a late bloomer myself, you know what I'm saying? I never yeah. thought in a million years that anything I ever did in my life, you know, <laughs> would, would lead to this 13 years ago. But, you know, what do you think it was? I mean, now, as an as someone that does astrological counseling, right, what was going on in your chart? <laughs> that Well, I don't know if your listeners know anything about astrology, but what yeah, began to do. happen in my chart was 
you know, we have a particularly dynamic configuration that is characterizing the years between 2007 and 2020. And if, you're, if your listeners know about this, it's the Uranus square Pluto. Yep. And by the way, it is bringing back the energies of the 60s. So all of the issues from the 60s, drugs, sex, rock and roll, the environmental movement, the women's liberation movement, the black liberation movement, the gay rights movement, all of those really important issues have come front and center in our culture now, and they are still going to be very hot right through for another four years or so, four and a half, five years or so. Um, those two planets, you, you look, I've, I've been looking in the charts of the people that I've been reading for first thing to see what is that particular 90-degree aspect doing. Uh-oh. And what it was, has been doing in my chart was it triggered my Mercury. And that was um, an incredibly interesting experience because um, Mercury, of course, has to do with writing and speaking. And the fact that we had the two planets involved in aspect to the Mercury the one planet suggests that there's a synthesizing function going on. And sure enough, I brought two things together that you wouldn't normally think belong together, astrology and Shakespeare. And the other planet is one that is very driven and somewhat obsessed. And I became absolutely driven by wanting to do this project. And I didn't think I was going to do this. I had started... I wanted to share with my fellow astrologers how wonderful Shakespeare was. And I'd started doing some talks and taking groups to see the plays at Stratford in Ontario. They have a wonderful theater there, the Stratford uh, Festival. And it suddenly dawned on me that there was a lot more going on in these plays when I began to look at them. And the first play that I really looked at was Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And the key for me was the fact that one of the main characters is named Mercutio. And Mercutio is a a fancy way of saying Mercury. And sure enough, that character is absolutely the incarnation of Mercury. He's a talker. He's a joker. He loves to hear the sound of his own voice. He delivers the longest speech in the play, which is the one about Queen Mab. And that was the beginning of my journey. And then I went to lunch with a client of mine who is an entertainment lawyer. And I happened to mention to him what I was doing. And, of course, he's somebody who works with photographers and writers creating contracts and so on. And the minute that I told him what I was doing, he said, I think there's a book in that. And honest to goodness, it was like a Cecil B. DeMille moment for me. (laughs) The heavens opened up and the lightning flashed and the thunder crashed. And I said, you're right. There's a book in this. Nobody's done this. And there, if I had known how much work it was going to entail to actually create this book, I probably wouldn't have done it. Of course, everybody says that about projects they take on. You have no idea at the beginning about how much is going to be involved in it. But I became so enthused and so excited by it and so impassioned by it and I think obsessed by it that that carried me through the actual writing of the book. Yeah, and I had I have some to wonderful you, friends who helped me along the way with it. Oh, I read the book and I would tell you this is, this is an epic accomplishment. It really is. And, you know, when I look at this, Priscilla, one of the things I want to say to you is you cannot write a book like this and really introduce us to some absolutely stellar interpretations and meanings if you're not passionate about it. There's no way that this book could have gotten written if the planets weren't aligned, you were tapped on the shoulders, whether you call it a spiritual awakening or, you know, whether you look at it as that moment, 
you know, that, that crossroads moment where you either go for it all or you go home. That's right. And, and, and is that the energy you're, you're talking about now? Because it's certainly the energy that I'm feeling. It's kind of this, and you know, you don't know anything about my chart. Maybe I can give you some information, but I'm getting a sense it's either go big or go home. And I'm not sure what planet that's under, but I would imagine that, you know, some of what Shakespeare has written, some of these, some of these literally is about a go big or go home, a tipping point. Right. So many of the characters are confronted with such significant choices, and the choices they make absolutely change the direction of their lives. Oh, amazing. Let's take a short break, everyone. When we come back, we're going to take you on a journey. And, you know, I'm going to get some guidance and direction here because there's so many things that we can talk about. But I think the question that I would like to ask this incredible author, uh, Priscilla Costello, is, all right, which was your greatest surprise? Which was it that you looked at and you said, really? Is that really Saturn? Is that really Jupiter? Is that really fill in the blanks? Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Join the Pacific Northwest EFT Tappers at the 6th Annual Tappers Gathering March 19th at Bastyr University in Seattle. You will learn EFT applications, forge a strong community, and share healing stories. The event raises money and awareness for EFT tapping scientific research. Net proceeds go to our 501c3 nonprofit to further prove the efficacy of EFT. Bring your cards and information for a fun and inspiring day of networking. Visit nwtappersgathering.com or call 360-661-6877. Chris Stainis is a spiritual leader and healer and teaches a course on how you can transform your life through a meditation and healing system that will manifest your spirit's dreams. She manifested the Women of Wisdom Conference, the Women of Wisdom book, and this radio show. And she can show you how to change your life, too. Are you ready? Visit the website and contact her at VoicesOfWomenToday.com. That's VoicesOfWomenToday.com. A morning filled with dynamic, inspirational music, spirituality, and uplifting messages by T.J. Woodward. Come and connect with community conversations and awaken your senses. Awakened Living Sundays with T.J. Woodward. Join T.J. every Sunday in the San Francisco Bay Area Chapel at Fort Mason and live streaming online 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Pacific Time. To learn more and access the live stream, visit www.awakenedlivingsf.org. 
Awaken to your radiant, authentic self. For over 15 years, Soul Purpose Advocate Nancy Monson has been focused on leading change in the lives of those looking to live their true purpose. She is devoted to supporting people and living a soul-directed life every day. Let Nancy help you overcome fear, worry, and doubt. Visit EverydaySpirituality.com to learn how Nancy can be your soul purpose advocate. The doctor is in. Tune in to the hit show, The Psychic Love Doctor, with host Deborah Lee. Deborah's life affirming, highly perceptive reading method has taught Deborah how to zero in on specific problems with relationships, career pursuits, and current roadblocks to success and happiness. Join Deborah Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific and for a special broadcast the second Thursday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Nice, nice choice of song, Mr. Benny. Very nice. I love that. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm so thrilled to have uh, author, astrologer Priscilla Costello joining me here today. Uh, Shakespeare and astrology, but it's Shakespeare and the stars, the hidden astrological keys to understanding the world's greatest playwright. The book is fabulous. I mean, it is written in such a way uh, that when I first looked at it and I opened it up and, you know, we were deciding, you know, what do you think about this book? Can you, Pat, can you talk about it? And I opened it up and I thought, well, wait a minute. It's not that can I talk about it? It's the way that it's written. You know, everything, Priscilla, from the way that you talk about the modern psychological perspective on archetypes, right? I mean, uh-huh. you have a whole section in here on archetypes, and what that means, but archetypes meaning modern, modern, modern psychological perspectives. Do you right? Think, I really, I really pull yeah. in the yeah. comparisons between the psychological view yeah. of Shakespeare's time and the psychological view of our time. Oh. So, I, for instance, in Romeo and Juliet, um, there, that's a kind of initiatory path both of those characters are taking because yeah. they both start out as very immature, and I think we could relate that to initiation in terms of the ancient Greek and Roman experience. But in modern terminology, it's what psychologists would call individuation. They become authentically who they are. They are no longer dependent on their parents or what their friends are telling them. They take charge of their own destiny, so to speak. And I think that's what I was really struck by as I was reading that part of the book. And, you know, then I would go from the book and then I would watch the movie and I'm like, wow, this is really fascinating. But what was, do you have an aha? And what I mean by that is there's so much in the book. I mean, I guess every, every bit of this is aha. Even from the conversation you have about disease, you know, uh, and, and love. But was there a one or two of these that you started to approach and you started to look at where you said, huh, really? Well, you know, I, Dr. Pat, I think the biggest aha moment was when I began to really look at the plays, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've been missing all of these uh, layers of meaning all this time. Uh, Once I started to probe Romeo and Juliet, which was the first play I looked at, I thought, 
oh my gosh, there's not just one mercurial character, Mercutio, but the nurse is just the feminine version of Mercury. She blabs as much as he does. <laughs> and they're both jokesters, and they make the same joke within a couple of scenes of each other, which happens to be a, a sexual joke, but they are very similar, and Shakespeare's really having fun with these characters. <laughs> and then I started to look at the other plays, and I thought, I'm not crazy. This is really happening in these other plays as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it really is. And I love the way that you've written the book because you not only give us words, but you really call out, you know, some of the most you know, interesting and sophisticated dialogue and you call it out and you, you literally take us on a journey to break it down, to really look at now, look, wait a minute, you know, soon he is dead and the queen apparently dies also. I mean, you are really giving us language where I know for me, I had not thought about things this way. But well, you know, one you, of my goals in writing this, Dr. Pratt, yeah. was I wanted to make it readable. I really oh. wanted to make it accessible because I think a lot of people have difficulty with Shakespeare's language. And once you can get past the language and you start to see what the ideas are and you start to be a little more familiar with some of the, the dialogue that recurs, then it just becomes absolutely fascinating because he's really doing an extraordinary thing. He's bringing together the philosophical ideas, a kind of moral imperative. He's got these amazingly vivid and dynamic characters you just fall in love with, like you fall in love with Falstaff or you're so yeah. impressed with Hamlet or you feel, you feel such poignancy for Romeo and Juliet. And he's got the poetry. It's, it's an astonishing accomplishment. But I think we wouldn't still 400 years later be celebrating Shakespeare unless it had this depth to it. And I think yeah. that's what people actually pick up when they're seeing the plays or reading the plays, even though they may not know it. That's why they're so appealing. I want to ask you this question. You know, I found myself interested in, as I'm reading this, I felt it was so modern uh, all of a sudden. And I've never really thought about Shakespeare quite that way. I really have not. That, that was something I wanted to do, uh, was show the relevance of Shakespeare now. Can we talk we can, about that We can talk about Shakespeare in our, in our vocabulary. Yeah. What are some of the examples that you can point to where you're sitting here and you're looking at it, you're writing about it, and you're like, wait a minute, that is so in the headlines today. Well, I'll tell you what I really, <laughs> uh, this is dangerous to bring this up, but I'm going to bring this up. You know, when I started doing the book, I wrote the second half of the book first. I wrote about the plays first because I was okay. so intrigued with the plays. And then I realized that to understand where Shakespeare was coming from, you had to understand the worldview of his time, which is very different from the worldview of our time. And that's when I wrote the first half of the book. And in doing that, I also had to explain to people the theory of personality that was current for Shakespeare. And you've read this, but I'll just say this for your listeners. Shakespeare and his compatriots, his contemporaries, kind of categorized people according to which of four particular planets they resonated to. And one particular type is the type that's always mad all the time, who's always spoiling for a fight, who's a warrior, who's a fighter, who incites conflict whenever he appears. And it's almost exclusively male except for Katharina the Shrew. That type is called the choleric type, and it's dominated by Mars. And what strikes me in our contemporary situation in the United States is Donald Trump is a choleric type. And, and as a matter of fact, if anybody happens to be aware of astrology who's listening to your show. Wow. You know, and what do you make 
of uh, the the relatedness towards you know what the book astrology Shakespeare and what Shakespeare was changing in our our climate and I mean I don't mean environment I mean our cultural climate cultures and subcultures and and things that are really being pointed to as being out of sync as not being in the right justice category so to speak isn't it interesting that you know this conversation is coming up and the word justice is coming up meaning you know is it just and yet we sit on the uh, on the edge of whether or not we'll actually get a new justice exactly well we're we're in a very tumultuous period that combination Mm -hmm. that i mentioned earlier the iranis photo square coincides with upheavals in the culture it's a revolutionary energy it wants to transform things and it wants to transform things politically economically socially and culturally and perhaps one of the most important things to talk about is the fact that astrology is and and astrologers i guess i would say too and those who espouse the astrological worldview we, we are custodians of a worldview that has been marginalized in our time, but I really think people want to see come back because it's a holistic worldview. It says we're connected to nature, we're connected to the cosmos in ways that we may not always understand, but we feel that intuitively. We want to feel that our lives have a meaning and purpose. We want to feel that we're related to everything around us. What I find peculiar is conventional physical science, the conventional science that says only physical things are real, and the only way to know a thing is through five-sense perception. And if, you, if something's valid, you have to prove it over and over again in a particular experiment. That is a very reductionistic worldview and not characteristic of most of our history as human beings, probably not the dominant worldview for most of the people who are on the planet right now. And I think the reason that people still gravitate toward astrology. They still want to read their sun sign columns. They still want to go and see an astrologer. They're still interested in reading about astrology. Is It brings back that holistic worldview. And I think that there's a terrific struggle going on between very different points of view all across the different levels we're talking about. There's political struggles. There's social struggles about what's permissible and what isn't permissible. There's, I think, a struggle economically going on. I think there's particularly this I struggle about which ideas will be dominant. So it's a very, it's a challenging time to live when you're living in a time that is so disturbed. You know, the, the yeah. Chinese are supposed to have had this statement, which you've probably heard, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> and some people interpret that as a curse, and other people consider that it's an opportunity. We're definitely yeah. living in interesting times. It is. But you said something interesting, and I want to uh, I want to ask you about this, because I don't have a time frame, you know, for Shakespeare's work. And I would love to explore this with you when we come back. Um, uh, and it is this. How, how, how did Shakespeare and some of his own astrological underpinnings change uh, throughout his writing and how did that affect what he wrote about let's take a short break everyone when we come back we're going to talk about that yeah dungeons dragons and more shakespeare and the stars the hidden astrological keys to understanding the world's greatest playwright priscilla costello did a fabulous job in this book i mean it is it really is 
an amazing journey. And I'm telling you, it's quite addicting. I found myself, I found myself reading it. And then I found myself, well, wait a minute. Is that really true? And then I, because I'm not an astrologer, Priscilla, I had to go look up, really? Is that really Taurus and Venus? Stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> Lots to talk about. We'll be right back. Your Shine with Kelly is the show that celebrates what makes you, you. Join co-hosts Kelly Wadler and Dr. Pat Basile as they break down how to brilliantly fuel and move your body and love what makes you shine. Kelly is a professional arts and wellness coach dedicated to helping brilliant women find their confidence, energy, self-love, and shine. Tune in to Shine On Radio with Kelly and find your shine on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Pat. Many of you have heard me talk about the Lyme disease epidemic going on right now in the world. I want to tell you about my friends at Results RNA. They have now created an entire Lyme support system for immune system support, detoxification, rejuvenation, and neurological healing. Please visit ResultsRNA.com to learn more. And for first-time orders, you'll receive a special 10% discount. All you have to do is type in Dr. Pat at checkout. Francine Vale is a being of light. She believes that all people of planet Earth are as well. As co-host of the Angel Healer radio show, Francine teaches you heart-centered ways to manifest healing on your own behalf and how to integrate love more fully into your daily life. Connect with your angels as you find your life flowing with ease and harmony. Walk the path of light with Francine and Dr. Pat Basile every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Have you been seeing numbers like 111 and 222 everywhere you go? Do you feel that the universe may be trying to get your attention, perhaps offering a message of some sort? As it turns out, numerical patterns and certain types of geometry form the very fabric of our reality, from cells under a microscope to the astronomy of our night sky. At Stellar Reflections, we offer special sessions which tap into these patterns, designed specifically to support you on your journey. The 111 and 222 activations are sessions activating new patterns in your energy field, which in turn can help you create new patterns in your life. After just one session with a practitioner, either in person or via distance, clients report gaining greater clarity, becoming more intuitive, and honoring their inner truth as they move forward in their lives. Curious about what these transformational sessions might do for you? Call 425-999-9836 or visit StellarReflections.com. That's StellarReflections.com. What are vibes? We often use this word, but did you know vibes can actually be useful and help solve our everyday challenges? Embark on an exciting learning journey with Caitlin Keat, 11-time Visionary Award winner, specialist in vibrational energy, and the creator of Vibes Up. Join Caitlin as she takes you through the world of vibrational therapy and energy healing with natural solutions for a modern world. Visit VibesUp.com to learn more today.
Oh, Benny, you didn't. How nice. Oh, my gosh. Tell everybody what that's from, Benny. That would be the uh, love anthem theme from Romeo and Juliet. Nice. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. It brought me and Pat together always. It does. It (laughs) always brings us together. And I want to tell you something about that theme. For those of you that have just listened to that, I don't know if you can get your hands on the music score from Carol. Very, very similar. It is really, I'm telling you, Priscilla, it is unnerving, you know, how this thing kind of showed up. But, you know, for me, let's, before we get back to the book, there's so much I want to talk with you about. What is the best way for folks to get a copy of the book, but also to find out more about you? They could also schedule appointments with you. They can. Now, let me address the part about getting a copy of the book. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest two different avenues here. And one of them okay. is the, the avenue the author would love is that for the person listening who wants to get a copy of the book to go to their local independent bookseller and yeah. to order it through the bookstore. Yes. Because we want to keep those independent bookstores alive. We want to keep those places where you can actually talk to people who can recommend books. You can see a physical book. You can flip through it. You can get an idea of what it's really about. And it's on Amazon. If you prefer to get it off Amazon, no problem. It's easily easily accessible off Amazon. Awesome. Um, I do have a personal website. We are in in the throes of trying to get the website up and running that's specifically on Shakespeare and the Stars, so stay tuned for that. Um, I am very booked up, but people can contact me through my <laughs> website if they're interested in having a reading. Yeah, and you're traveling as well. I, I mean, travel can... a great deal, yes. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, all of the above. And what's the best place for people to find out that information? On my on my personal website, PriscillaCostello.com has a list of my speaking engagements for the year. Uh, Might be a good idea to put down my my travel, uh, my travel schedule as well, because I already know I'm going to be in England for two weeks in June. Uh I'll be in California in October. I'll be in Boston, Massachusetts in November. I'm actually heading for Annapolis, Maryland, and Boston next month. Um, then I'll Perfect. be back in Canada. This is going to be a kind of crazy year, which I knew from looking at my chart. Yeah, except, yeah, I don't even have to look at my chart to know it's going to be the same. Uh, you know, I wanted to, it's interesting for me when I look at this, and I love what you've done and bringing Shakespeare and astrology to the forefront. I'm also struck by the energy around that and what it's come to mean, the symbolism, you know, the archetypes, and how fascinated right now we are in our culture. And I'm not just talking about, you know, people that, are, that read Shakespeare or people that are in, in the world and look at astrology. I'm just looking at our pop culture, and I'm looking at the arch- archetypes that are coming to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you talk about this in the book. What is it that is so fascinating with us here, the us folks that want to glom on and hold on to an archetype that best fits where we are in our lives right now? It's been That's a tough a great 10 question. years. That's a great yeah. question. And I really think it has a lot to do with the big picture in terms of the astrological cycles because the the whole zeitgeist, the whole flavor of a time seems very synchronous with what the astrological aspects are. So Uranus-Pluto is a very interesting combination because on the one hand you get the outsider comes into the political picture, or and we, and we have two outsiders who are, in a sense, 
rocking the boat in terms of the political sphere at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the dark side. There's an activation of the dark side. So a lot of the shows now and the movies and so on, you know, they're exploring the dark side of the individual psychology. Or if it's about things that are presumably spiritual, a lot of it's about vampires or zombies or something like that. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of the light side or the positive side, and I think that's because a lot of the darker side is being brought up so that it can be addressed, it can be looked at, it can be considered, and then we have to figure out how do we deal with that energy, because that energy is inherent in our culture and in ourselves. Yeah. And and Shakespeare confronts that, too. I mean, a lot of his plays have villainous characters who do really nasty things. Right. Right. And, you know, it's really fascinating when I'm thinking about it and, you know, I'm looking at it, comparing it. But here we go. Right. Blockbuster movies, blockbuster movies out now coming out about architect. And I don't know what you think about comic book characters, but I'm a kid that grew up in New York. And my fascination with comic books started very young, very, very early on in my life because they represented something, something symbolic some right. form of justice. Right. And and it's interesting yeah. I'm using that word and I'm and we're looking at justice but we're also looking at standing up for what we believe in right now. Right. Whether we agree with the politics of it or not, all of yeah. a sudden people are taking a stand. How do you look at that in terms of Shakespeare? Was he trying to make a point? Was he taking a stand and how did some of that really translate back in his time? I think Shakespeare was very careful about what he did. And I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons that it's taken so long for somebody to look at the plays and to figure out what's, what's really going on in terms uh-huh. of the archetypal structure is that he was garmenting the ideas so cleverly that he would not get into trouble with the Puritans or with the orthodoxy of his time or with the court and the nobles and the queen because he was satirizing some of the some of the nobles mercilessly, like Polonius is definitely a satire on William Cecil, Lord Burley, who was Queen Elizabeth's principal advisor. That was pretty risky. You know, so he, he really garments it. In our time, I think yeah. it's much more, it's much more noticeable. One of the fascinating things about popular culture is how, how much emphasis is being given on the gods, the Greek gods, <laughs> Thor, and the, that's also the Norse god, but you know, a lot of the movies in the last few years have featured these god figures in their cosmic battles and so on. And I think that's reflective of the kind of struggle that's going on on our level between different points of view, different political parties, different expressions, different determinations about how we should live our lives. I wanted to ask you this. Are we at a pivotal point? And let me ask you what I mean by this, because I, I, I couldn't help but think about you know, some of what you, you've written in the book. There are a couple of things in particular. And I think I mentioned one earlier, and I want to I see how it relates. I don't know why I picked it up. But I was, I, it was part of the uh, hidden astrology key to Macbeth. And, you know, I was reading through this, and, and, and all of a sudden I came across uh, one of the things you started to talk about was Scorpio wounding and healing. Right. And I was so struck by that. And maybe you could tell us a little bit, Uh, of the backdrop, but I was so struck by that and how that so represents, I think, the energy of today. You know, we cannot, 
we cannot look back and think people were not wounded over these past eight to 10 years. Oh, my gosh. Why are we having movies about it? Right. Right. And yet, are we really addressing the healing or are we going to continue to be wounded? And I, I was reading this and thinking to myself, is Scorpio showing up anywhere now? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had Saturn go through Scorpio um, about two to three years ago. And um, I think that, and by the way, Scorpio has, Scorpio has a lot to do with uh, the economy. It has a lot to yeah. do with psychological growth and development. It has a lot to do with how we engage I guess the best word is the occult. What do we think about what happens before we're born? What do we think about the dying process? Where do we think we go after we die? All of that's embedded in Scorpio. And there is so much going on for all of us that it's like we're really, I guess, impelled to look after our own health on all levels, to look after our own um, psychological progress, in a sense, to try to be as, as healthy as we possibly can in all, all ways, psychologically, physically, emotionally. You know, there's lots out there now about diet, about getting enough sleep, about not going overboard on technology, about trying to have a much more balanced life, but exposing yourself to nature and so on. I'm intrigued that um, two of our candidates for the Democratic Party are both Scorpio rising people. Hillary Clinton's a double Scorpio, and Bernie Sanders, I believe, if we have the correct chart for him, is a Scorpio rising. Now, the potential for Scorpio is to actually make changes. So this is a time where people do want change. People want things to evolve. They want things to be different, and they want them to evolve so that it is healthier for everybody, environmentally, emotionally, mentally, religiously, spiritually, on on any level you can think of. Wow. Now, I would really be uh i would have a, a an absolute regret if i did not talk with you and as a matter of fact let's skip the last break uh <laughs> benny if you don't mind but if i did not talk with you about the hidden ast- astrological key to the tempest ah <laughs> i'm a sagittarius are you surprised no i'm i was i was <laughs> Wondering how you would have liked the Tempest because, you, you know, Jupiter is the ruling planet for the Tempest and Jupiter is the ruling planet for you. But I was fascinated by what you had to say about this. I don't know if it's just me or I, I'm not a scholar of Shakespeare, but out of everything I've been introduced to, I just thought, what was happening with Shakespeare when he wrote this? I, I, I was like at a point mm. in my, I'm like, Really? Did he actually really write this? Is this something that Shakespeare did? And the answer, of course, is yes. But I would like to know from you, is, d- does, does it make sense? Does this feel like Shakespeare when he wrote this? Or, or, is, it, or is it different? You know, in a funny way, I would say The Tempest is the real Shakespeare. Okay, good. <laughs> I think a couple of his earlier plays, like The Comedy of Errors, which is, kind of, I want to say, a simplistic comedy based on uh, a pattern of Roman comedy, and Two Gentlemen of Verona, which is, I mean, an affront to feminine sensibilities. It's just crazy, because by the end of the play, one guy just hands over his lady friend to the other fellow, and everybody seems to think that's okay. It's a tremendously different consciousness that's writing As You Like It, where Rosalind is, in a sense, the most conscious, most evolved character in the whole play. Or Portia, who is yeah. really the one who's controlling the destiny of everybody in the court scene, 
And the Tempest, I think, in a sense, is the real Shakespeare. He's 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 not he's not kind of covering things over very much. The the one concession that he makes to the religious and the puritanistic people of his time is he has to have Prospero give up his art because if Prospero didn't give up his art, then then he would have been in trouble. Yeah. So Prospero has to say, well, I'm not going to use my magic anymore. I'm just going oh. to rely on, on my abilities, my other abilities. But he's accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. He's kind of, in a sense, punished his enemies. He's facilitated a wonderful marriage for his daughter. And yeah. he's gotten himself and her off the island, and they're going to go back to Italy. Yeah. I mean, I mean the stories and the way that you are speaking about them and the way that you present them in the context of uh, astrological keys, it's really fascinating. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it just is so different. You know, when I looked at it through this lens, have people been saying that to you? Yes. Uh, a really good friend of mine has been, you know, reading and, and critiquing each chapter as I did it. And he jokingly said to me, you've really ruined it for me, because now when I go to see the plays, I, all I hear is the astrological background. He said, I really see how clear it is in the plays. So it's a, it's a different lens that you use to look at the plays. And by the way, there's lots of different lenses. You know, you yeah. can, uh, there's a wonderful book about the philosophy of Shakespeare. There's people do books about um, the imagery in Shakespeare. I've seen even books about good business advice you can extract from the plays. <laughs> but it seems to me that the astrological is the center. It's the central, the, the most important guiding, um, I guess imagery might be a good word here, the, the guiding principle, that, because he's, Shakespeare is so working out of the worldview of his time. And, you know, we forget everybody in his audience knew this. They all knew what the references. They would have gotten even references to specific flowers or gems or colors or things like that because that was part of their understanding about how everything was connected. So you could interpret one thing by another. Um, so that I think what we're what I'm trying to do in this book is to get us to the place where Shakespeare's own audience in his own time would have heard the plays and understood so much more. And I think that's going to make it much clearer for people. Uh, to actually appreciate the plays. Well, I want to ask you this question. I know we've got a little time left. Um, I want to ask you about your personal journey in doing this and if your view of any of these, these plays shifted immensely as a result of writing this book. I mean, what I'm asking you is like for me, you know, I, I have a whole new perspective on, you know, like I said, The Tempest, but also King Lear. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, I got and I have to go back and reread some of this because I'm like, that is so interesting. I never saw it that way. How about yeah. you? Because here you are, you're a scholar, you're a teacher. This is something you've been doing, you know, a large part of your life. <clears throat> Has your perspective on any one of these, you know, let's say shift to the top where you're thinking, wow, I don't see that the same way anymore. Or is it kind of all of them? <laughs> Well, I, I think it's really, I don't, I don't see Shakespeare the same way at all. I mean, yeah. any time that I'm exposed to any of the plays, it's a totally different experience for me to, to hear it or, or to read it even. If I had to pick a specific play, it, this is a strange thing to say, but I'm going to say I have much more compassion for Macbeth than I did before I actually worked uh, on, the, on the play. Yeah. Because I began to realize 
how difficult the issues all are. And, you know, he's a man who's being humiliated by his wife, and he's being manipulated by the witches, and, you know, he's, he's, he is himself a wounded person. He's been slighted by the king, who, even though he's been a great warrior, he saved the country from both an external and an internal threat. The king has said, oh, it's going to go, the kingship's going to go to my, to my son. He's going to get the throne after I die. I mean, that's a real affront to his masculinity. And I think that's a play that really explores a lot about masculinity and, and, and how the archetypal masculine temperament works. Wow. You know, I, I think that we've talked about, you know, just barely scratched the surface on this phenomenal book. And for those of you out there, you can get your copy of the book, Shakespeare and the Stars. Um, what do you think... Uh, Shakespeare, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, if you had to pick any one of, of these, any one of these plays, any one of these, these great, great, great stories, right? If you had to pick one of them, and then based on the astrological key that you discovered, which one would you pick to take to modern time today and bring to film? Oh, there's a great question. Well, I wouldn't pick Midsummer Night's Dream because I think Julie Taymor has done a brilliant job right. with, with her production that she did at the Brooklyn um, Theater a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's interesting because I've actually yeah. put this book into the hands of an artistic director of a very major theatrical company. And I would be very intrigued if somebody, I think I would do Merchant of Venice. Okay. And, you know, Shakespeare's always telling you what the key symbol is. For instance, in the, in the court scene, the, the, um, the trial scene when, you know, Shylock is kind of bringing his suit because he wants a pound of flesh from Antonio, uh -huh. Portia says, bring the scales on stage. And one of the key signs that is important for the Merchant of Venice is Libra, which is the sign that has to do with justice. Here justice. we are talking about justice. Yeah. And there's the symbol right on the stage. And I would make it big. The last time I saw a production of this, they had a little teeny weeny scales. And I thought, no, no, it needs to be a big scales. Giant. And I would love to see the production done with the right colors associated with it and with, you know, the, the bring, bringing out, in a sense, and emphasizing what the astrological references are. I think a lot of that can be conveyed through things like color and movement and yeah. the symbols that are used on stage. I think one of the greatest misconceptions we have of our, our age, I'd love to hear, hear this from you as well. I think one of the greatest misconceptions we have is about our youth, whether you call them millenniums, whether you call them X-gens. I think one of the greatest misconceptions is about the, the, that group of people. And I think we're underestimate, underestimating them. And I think yeah, one I of the agree. things that we say about them is they don't care. You know, right. they're this or they're that. And I think that when you take the energy you're talking about from the 60s, right? Right. And we're now compiling that with, with a group of people, decades of these folks, who have been told, you know, you're just a little complacent, you don't care. I think we're getting ready for a giant, giant upset here. In terms well, of I would, energy I would hope so. I think commitment. that's what we need, actually. I'm very interested in the generation born in the early 90s because yes. they have a particular configuration that might be an inspired, oh. a more inspired use of technology, a more, a, maybe the right word is spiritual here, use of technology. 
And I also think that these revolutionary energies between the years 2007 and 2020 will facilitate that. I think, I think you're right. I think these people are really, um, I want to say, an intelligent group. Mm-hmm. I think they would be very open to a completely different way of looking at Shakespeare or a completely different way of looking at almost anything in their world. I think they're very open. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank, I have to thank you so much for uh, doing what you've done here. And, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm really struck by how your interpretation is so relevant to the times we live in. Not just the times when I say that today and this year, but what the past 10 years have been like, what we might be coming out of, and what perhaps, you know, the future could look like given the way that you've looked at these interpretations and and have given it your fabulous, fabulous talent to this. Thank you so much. And I wanted to ask you this question. Um, Again, let's tell folks about how they can get a copy of the book. And I wanted to ask you if... If Shakespeare were here today in the context of what you've done, what would Shakespeare's message be through you? I think he would be quite happy that, you know, we're, it's like we've, we've, we're doing a little bit of like pulling the curtain behind, pulling the curtain back and looking at the machinery about how the plays are created. But I think he would actually be happy that we're seeing the profundity, we're seeing um, the the extraordinary wit that he had, the the talent and ability that he had to bring all of these ideas together and create the characters that he did. I think he would rather enjoy it. Wow. And again, the website for people, thank you so much. Uh, PriscillaCostello.com. And they'll, awesome. they'll get my speaking schedule, and, and I hope we'll put my travel schedule up there as well. And I oh, just want to thank you so much, Dr. Pat. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you. And I'm delighted that you have enjoyed the book as much as you have. And thank you so much for your positive comments. And if people would like to get a copy, as I said, go to your independent bookseller or it can be gotten off Amazon. Yeah. And there's so much in here. Fascination and and so interesting. Thank you so much. And for those of you out there that want to find out more about us, go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or go to the DrPatShow.com. Or, or for those of you who take a sneak peek at what's coming, take a look at TransformationRadio.fm. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back with the show. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.